Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, up until all we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown there and here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that yours are the words of eternal life. And so, Father, we pray that as you speak to us now, uh, that you would show us Christ, uh, show us what it means to be in him and to live like him. And we ask it in his name. Amen. One of the things uh, that's increased a lot during lockdown has been uh, people's TV watching habits. Uh, Whether it's Netflix or Amazon or the BBC, uh, lots of us have got stuck into a few good series. Uh, And one that I've particularly enjoyed, uh, one that's been hugely popular, uh, has been The Last Dance. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's basically a documentary following the career of the basketball superstar Michael Jordan. Jordan is considered by uh, most people as the best basketball player and one of the best sportsmen to ever live. And it's a fascinating series, kind of going behind the scenes and looking at what it takes to be the best. One thing that stands out, though, is the, the incredibly high standards that Jordan has, not just for himself, uh, but for the rest of his teammates. If you want to play on Michael Jordan's team, if you want to be part of the Chicago Bulls, you have to live up to the standard that he set. You have to show that you're worthy to be part of his team. Jordan set an incredibly high standard. But then as I read Ephesians chapter 4 this week, it struck me that it's nothing compared to the standard that Paul sets at the start of chapter 4. Just look at verse 1 with me. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Uh, Michael Jordan might have told his teammates they need to play in a way worthy of the Chicago Bulls. 
But here Paul says that we need to live in a way worthy of our calling. What is that calling? Well, we've seen it, haven't we, in the first three chapters. Back in chapter one, we heard Paul talk about God's master plan for the universe to bring all things together under Christ. And then in chapters two and three, he showed how we can be part of that plan, how we're brought to life, new life in Christ and united together to be the church. And then the church was to is to display God's wisdom to the watching world. And so Paul says that that is our purpose. That's our calling, which means it is a pretty high bar, isn't it? When he says now that we are to live lives worthy of that calling. Of course, unlike Michael Jordan, Paul doesn't expect us to do this in our own strength. We saw last week that he prayed for power, for God's power to be at work in us as we do this. And unlike Jordan, we won't get kicked off the team if we underperform. Remember, we've been saved by grace alone. And so our our security, our, our place on the team, as it were, is secure in Christ. But God's grace and God's power doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. This isn't a case of sit back, relax and display God's wisdom to the world. No, Paul says, you've been saved. You've been brought into God's family, into the church, and you've been given God's power, his spirit working in you. So now go and live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And that's really what the second half of his letter is all about. How to live in light of what God has made us, what he has done for us. How to live lives worthy of of our calling. And this morning, as we look at the first part of chapter four, I want us to see two things. First, Paul says, living a life worthy of your calling means working hard at unity. So look at verse two with me. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, if you're going to be a a God-glorifying church, if you're going to live a life worthy of your calling, then you need to work hard. You need to make every effort to maintain unity. I notice that he says, maintain, not create. Remember, we've already been united in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 15, said that Christ created in himself one new humanity. So we're already united in him. But Paul now says we need to work out, we need to live out that unity. And in verse 2, he shows us the kind of attitude, the kind of characteristics that lead to that unity. Verse 2 again says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. If you want to live out, if you want to maintain the unity that Christ has won for us, well, these are the sorts of characteristics we need to grow in. How do we do that? How do we become more patient or more gentle or kind or loving? Like everything in the Christian life, it begins by looking first to Jesus. Because as we look to Jesus, as we see these characteristics demonstrated perfectly in his life, 
as we see how he comes to us in humility and patience and kindness and gentleness and love, that we begin to see how we can treat others in that same way. As as we look to Christ and see all that he has done, all that he has given for us, that we'll be slower to, to judge other people. We'll be slower to to look down on others because we'll see ourselves with humility. We'll understand that we are sinners in desperate need of a saviour, just like everybody else. It is we look to Christ and see how he daily treats us with patience and gentleness, that we'll be able to bear with each other in love. We won't be easily irritated by others' weaknesses. We won't be harsh when they let us down. No, we'll be kind and gentle towards them. We'll love them. And so Paul says, you you maintain unity when you live like Jesus, when you treat others as he has treated you. And we know, don't we? We know that, that in reality, that's actually really hard for us to do. We are sinful people living in a fallen world, a world full of divisions. We've seen some of those divisions over things like lockdown, people fighting and arguing over what you should or shouldn't be doing. And far more sadly, we've seen those divisions in recent events in America with the tragic murder of George Floyd, we've seen there are still very present divisions when it comes to race. We live in a fallen world. We are sinful people and so unity is hard work. It's hard, but Paul says it's essential. It's essential because it reflects what God has already done in us through the gospel. So look at verse 4. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's point's pretty hard to miss, isn't it? In Christ, you are one, he says. As Christians, you have this, we're in the same body. We have the same spirit. We look forward to the same hope. We, have this, we follow the same Lord and believe the same gospel. And so in Christ you are one. And remember all that sameness. It doesn't mean that, that we are all the same. We've seen this already that we're not talking about uniformity, but unity. Back in chapter two, we saw how the gospel brings together people from different backgrounds different cultures, different ethnicities. It breaks down divisions and prejudices. The church is gloriously diverse. But the key here is that it is united in that diversity. Christ has made us one, one new humanity. And so what we have in common massively outweighs our differences. And so Paul says, you need to work hard at unity. You need to make every effort to demonstrate the gospel in the way that you treat each other, especially in the way that you treat those who are different from yourself. Living lives worthy of our calling uh, 
means working hard at unity. And then second, it means growing together in maturity. If you haven't been watching uh, more Netflix in lockdown, then you may well have been doing more gardening. Uh, the RHS uh, has reported a huge increase uh, in people visiting their website with all their gardening questions. Uh, but more important than the growth of our garden is the growth of the church. And that's where Paul heads next. He says the church grows because of what Christ gives. Let's look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, Paul's not talking there about the grace that saves us, that, that makes us alive in Christ. No, he's talking about God's grace in giving different gifts to his people. We can see that in verses 8 and 9 where he quotes from Psalm 68. And there he's basically giving the Ephesians a bit of a gospel reminder. He says, remember, Christ descended from heaven to earth. The Son of God became a man. And he did that to die in your place, to pay the price our sin deserves so that we can be forgiven, redeemed and restored to a relationship with God. Christ descended, but he didn't stay dead. No, he rose to new life. He ascended back to the Father, where he's now seated in heaven with him as king over the whole universe. And as the victorious risen king, Christ now extends his rule through his people, through the church. And he does that by giving gifts to them. In other words, he equips his people, he equips the church to be what he has made them to be. And so look at verse 11. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, there are all sorts of other gifts mentioned uh, around the New Testament. And so Paul's list there is, is not meant to be an exhaustive one. But did you notice the kind of gifts he focuses on? Uh, he talks about apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. They're all word-centred gifts, aren't they? And that's because right at the centre, right at the heart of Christ's church building project is God's word, it is the Bible. And so first there are the apostles and prophets that are given. Paul mentioned them back in chapter two and chapter three. And he explained that along with Christ as the cornerstone, these apostles and prophets provide the foundation for the church. They're the people that Christ chose to be his witnesses, to write down and preserve the New Testament until uh, preserve the gospel until the New Testament was completed. Which means that role is now complete, it's finished. We have the Bible as our foundation. And so there are no longer apostles and prophets in the way that Paul's talking about here. That role is over. But the church building project is not complete because next we see that Christ gives the evangelists these are the people who take the gospel and proclaim it to an unbelieving world. It is through their preaching that more bricks are added to the building. More people come to new life in Christ and so become part of the church. Now, of course, we know that 
All of us are called to go and make disciples for Jesus. All of us are to share the good news, the gospel, with the people we meet. But it's also true that Christ gives some people a a particular gift to do that and to train others in it. So the apostles and prophets, they lay the foundation of God's word. The evangelists preach and proclaim it to the world. And then finally, there are the pastor teachers, which I think is one role. And they continue to strengthen and grow the church as they explain and apply the Bible to the lives of God's people. And so you see, it's the Bible, it's God's word that's at the heart of all the church is and does. It's the focus of the gifts that Christ gives. Having said that, though, we we have got to be careful not to think that that church growth is just the job of the professionals, uh, the ministry team, or those that have been to Bible college. Because whilst Bible teaching is vital, Paul says it's not an end in itself. Just look at verse 11 and 12 again. He says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. You see what Paul is saying? Christ gives Bible preachers and teachers as gifts to his people so that every individual is equipped to serve and build up the church. In other words, the church grows, it strengthens and builds as every member, every person gives themselves to ministry, to serving each other so that they are built up. And in the end of verse 13, they they reach fullness or maturity in Christ. Uh, One person said it's the difference between thinking of the church as a bus or as an orchestra. And problems come when we start to think of the church like a bus. Uh, so on a bus, there's, there's the driver who does all of the hard work and the, the passengers who enjoy the ride. The passengers are, are often very proud of their bus. They, they like good driving and they can spot bad driving a mile away. They enjoy the reputation of being on a bus that's driven well. And they think that being on the bus is really just about having a nice time. Lots of people on the bus have been travelling for a long time and in the past they they used to help clean and service the engine. But that was back then. Now they just look back with a sort of sense of pride at what they used to do. Some still think it's a good idea to, to stop and pick up the odd new passenger every now and then. But they're also a bit concerned that the bus might get overcrowded and so they don't want too much, too many new people on board. Some passengers don't really talk to anyone when they get on the bus. They they just come and enjoy some quiet personal reflection on the journey. Uh, And others get pretty upset when they find somebody else sitting in their favourite seat. It's a silly illustration, isn't it? But you get the point. It's all too easy for us to view the church like a bus. But Paul here in chapter 4 wants us to see it's far more like an orchestra. Because in an orchestra, everybody needs to play their part if the music is going to sound as the author intended. Everyone has to play from the same score. And they need a conductor not to run around playing all the different instruments, 
but to guide them and help them as they play. And it's when those things come together, the score, the orchestra and the conductor, that the music comes alive and matches the intention of its composer. And so Paul says that the same is true for the church. We must all play from the same score, from the Bible. We must all respond together, serving each other with the gifts that we've been given. And we all need conductors, uh, people who will rightly teach us God's word uh, so that we make the sound that the composer intended. Which means that, well, that just as it's impossible to be a real authentic member of an orchestra and never actually play an instrument, uh, so it's also impossible to be an authentic Christian without ever actually serving people in the local church. And so we need to ask ourselves a, a serious question, which is how do we think of the church? Are we just going along for the ride? Is it more like a bus? Or are we using our God-given gifts to serve and build up the body? Because that's the goal, isn't it? That's the focus of what Paul is saying. This isn't just an argument for busy churches full of busy people, but growing churches full of Christ-like people. So just look at verse 14. Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul says the church is one body. It's united in its head. Christ, he's in charge. He's the head. And the body grows because of the good gifts Christ gives. The gifts of people who will teach God's word so that the church can be rooted in the truth of the gospel. So that it's not blown around by false teaching or or by worldly thinking. And the good gift of people who will teach God's word so the church is equipped. Equipped to serve, to to use their gifts to benefit others, to build up the body. Equipped to serve and equipped to speak. To lovingly speak the truth of the gospel to one another. To humbly, gently, patiently point people to Christ. So that, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what does it look like to live lives worthy of the calling you've received? What does it mean for us to to be, to grow as the church? Well, Paul says it begins with working hard at unity with remembering that what we have in common far outweighs our differences. And then from that place of unity, it means growing together in maturity, using what we've been given to build each other up until we reach fullness, maturity in Christ. Let's pray that we would do those things now. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again so much for the church. 
Thank you that it is Christ's body, a, a collection of different people from different backgrounds, from uh, different ethnicities and cultures. So thank you that we are all different, but that we are all united under one head, Christ. Father, thank you that he is our head, that he is in charge of the church. And so we pray that you would help us to listen to him, to point each other to him as we open up your word, as we talk to each other. Would we build up the body using the things that you have given us so that we become mature, so that we become more like our Lord Jesus and show him to the world. And we ask it in his name. Amen.